I'm Laura Bonnell, and this is the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast coming to you from Detroit. Please subscribe and even rate and comment on our podcasts when it moves you. I learn something new with every podcast, and I'm always inspired by the people that are showcased here. We don't give medical advice. You need to connect with your doctor for that. I hope that this Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast educates you and sparks some volunteering or advocacy. The CF community needs people like you. Thanks to our sponsors, Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex for their support. I'm really excited for you to learn about the All of Us Research Program. If you're not already involved in it, it's a wonderful program, and their goal is to enroll 1 million people to build one of the most diverse health databases in history. Dr. Josh Denny is the All of Us Research Program CEO, a program that comes from the National Institute of Health. And this will allow resources to accelerate precision medicine for all populations. This is critical for the future of our planet, in my opinion, but it's also probably why they called the program All of Us, because to succeed and to properly represent our population, they do need all of us. Josh is an amazing human, and I'm honored to feature him in this podcast. Josh has been involved since the program's inception. He was a member of the NIH Precision Medicine Initiative Working Group of the Advisory Committee to the Director, which developed the program's initial scientific blueprint. He then led the program's initial prototyping project and the All of Us Data and Research Center. Josh was named CEO of All of Us in 2020. Before joining the NIH, Josh was a participating physician and held several leadership positions at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. At Vanderbilt, he led discovery and implementation projects in precision medicine, including clinical pharmacogenomics and Vanderbilt's DNA biobank. Dr. Denny was a pioneer in the use of electronic health records for genomic studies, including the initial description of phenome-wide association study and phenotype risk scores. And that is a lot about Dr. Josh Denny, but I thought it was very important to talk about all that he brings to this All of Us program. So welcome, Dr. Josh Denny. I am so looking forward to talking about the All of Us program. Thanks for joining us on the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. And I just want to start by saying anyone who knows me knows how much I love science and innovation. And they also know how much I love Dr. Francis Collins, the former director of the NIH and everything he's done for cystic fibrosis. And so when he said we should all, you know, check out this program, all of us, I absolutely checked it out. And then I decided to sign up for it. Um, I found it so interesting. This is why I wanted to do this podcast with you. Let's start by you kind of talking about what the program is, basically, just so people know exactly what we're talking about. Well, thank you, Laura. I'm so enthused that you have signed up for the program. Thank you for joining. All of Us is a really ambitious effort to enroll at least a million people across the United States who envision partner with us to create a better future for health for all of us. 
And it really has a focus on accelerating precision medicine. Sometimes people use the word individualized medicine or personalized medicine, but we often use the word precision medicine because we're trying to get more precise and actually apply better science to better treat, to get the right drug the first time without side effects. And, you know, cystic fibrosis is an incredible story of the power of precision medicine. You know well and have had people like Francis come and talk on your program, I know, that have detailed from the discovery of the gene in 1989 to just lots of better treatment over decades, really, as in my early training as a med student and resident to the introduction of specific therapies first correcting a mutation in 2013 to where we have now with Trikafta in 2019. Just tremendous advances, as you know, in cystic fibrosis. And we want to take that kind of paradigm to change to all populations. So diversity is really important and really all diseases, drug therapies, all those things that we you know don't know about. And, and you know, cystic fibrosis, you hit so many of those with different infections, things like that as well, that we don't necessarily have huge sample sizes for, and we need that in all of us. So we really build this cohort. It's got electronic health records, people share surveys and DNA, other biosamples to really help us and disentangle and understand health. And I really love the push for diversity. Of course, it should be included without a doubt, but I like that it's stated right there. It's so important. I mean, I I believe that scientists know it probably better than anyone, but if people didn't get the message during COVID, uh, they need to hear it again. It is extremely important that they're is a large group of the population. This is the whole reason, part of the reason that you're doing this so that it can benefit all of us. Clearly the name, right? That's exactly right. You know, that's especially true for genetic research. More than 90% of all genome-wide association studies that have done worldwide have been in people who are European ancestry or basically white. And so that really hinders discovery and our ability to understand and improve care for everyone, including those who are of European ancestry. You know, there are genetic variants that we have called pathogenic because we only were looking at, in historically, a European population. And as we start to genotype different populations, we understand this could be a very common variant and it's not pathogenic at all. So it really is important that we have all sorts of people involved um, because we all get healthier by doing that. And I always like to whenever the opportunity, you know, presents itself to say that people of color in cystic fibrosis are underdiagnosed. So it is really important, especially as in cystic fibrosis, we're dealing with the last 10% trying to find modulators for people with CF. So it's always important and it's always critical to research and medications. So thank you for that. And there's always a CF connection, and I wanted you to talk about your CF connection. When I reached out to all of us, I don't know, I I don't always think there is a CF connection, but there always does seem to be. So if you can walk us through your CF connection. Of course. Yeah, so my really journey to medicine and science really begins with CF. My grandmother and grandfather had six children four of which had cystic fibrosis and died at a very young age. Uh, So my dad remembers very clearly some of his siblings who uh, passed away from cystic fibrosis at a young age. 
We don't know their mutation. You know, that was before uh, testing. And in fact, some of the later children uh, and even the earlier ones, their physicians thought, how could this, you know, we're late to come to that diagnosis. It's a very new diagnosis. And so, you know, that story uh, I grew up with in our family. And my dad's a banker. He didn't go into science, but I certainly remember growing up those stories. My grandmother's still alive. She is very involved in the Six Fibrosis Foundation of Kentucky. We uh, went to fundraisers, uh, galas and such uh, in Kentucky growing up. And I remember, you know, those kinds of connections as well and hearing those stories. She's 93 now. Uh, about a year or so ago, I got a uh, in the mail one of the newsletters from the CF Foundation was scribbling on top about, you know, how she's still hoping for that genetic cure um, before she dies. Wow. And so she still stays very actively involved in that. And um, it was part of, you know, why I wanted to go into medicine and science. I wanted to make a difference. And I saw that. I, I saw her passion becoming a preschool director for 30 years after her kids were out of school and, you know, how she poured into other children. And I wanted to see what difference I could make for health um, writ large. That is impressive and wonderful that it kind of helped get you where you are. I also think that, or you've actually said the fact that you have a child with a rare disease, one of your four children. Um, Aaron, is is he about 14? He is 14. So that also played a part. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is um, with a different rare disease. He has neurofibromatosis type 1. Uh, he was our second child. Um, as he developed, we noticed some differences and had a number of physicians involved in his care. I'm obviously a physician as well. It took us till he was seven years old to actually figure out what his diagnosis was. And so I, I certainly uh, empathize and understand the diagnostic odyssey that many parents go through with their children, whether it be cystic fibrosis or something else. I feel like I had access to some of the best medical care in the world and uh, could access remote specialists as we tried to manage his symptoms. And so we traveled as well to you know try to seek how we could manage his care. And he's doing fabulous uh, right now. Started in eighth grade and, and shipped him off to school this morning, uh, first day back in 2024. He's um, enjoying school. He's involved in extracurriculars. He's on the Science Olympiad team and He's just doing wonderful. And uh, I, I can share in that journey that so many of probably your fellow listeners have as either parents or as they grew up living with a chronic disease and how you manage that. And I think, too, that you're a perfect example, you and your wife, Carolyn, about on average, it takes seven years to find out what rare disease your child has. So you're a perfect example of that. And and I do want to get back to all of us, but I thought it was really important to talk about your personal experience and your story because people can relate to that. And it's very important. And I think it makes everyone trust even more about the reason why you're involved in this. When I read your story and I watched uh, some of the videos that you and your wife did, it really touched my heart. And I get why you're in it, and I'm thankful that you're in it, because if anyone should be in it and in this program, it's you and people like you who aren't just outside looking in, you're living it. And I know we would all rather not have our kids have rare diseases, but we are in it. So I'm grateful that you're 
also in the mix with us. So thank you. Thank you. For using all your expertise and parenting knowledge and everything. It's really important. How far away from 1 million people in the All of Us program are you? How far do you have to go? Well, there's no ceiling. That's the first thing I'll say. We have over 750,000 people now that have consented to join our study. We launched nationally in 2018. So it's just really been an incredible growth in people joining the program. You have to remember COVID was in between there. And initially when COVID hit, things went to zero because everything was in person. Uh, In some ways, you know, that created a stronger program because now we can truly reach anyone anywhere in the United States, including uh, territories. If we don't have brick and mortar near you, uh, which we're ever expanding, we can also send you a saliva kit. And so people can donate that way as well. And Saliva kit right here. I'm about to send it in. Perfect, perfect prop. Uh, joinallofus.org is our website. And we really encourage uh, everyone to join. We find actually that people with rare disease are overrepresented in all of us and probably no surprise. Uh, all rare diseases really are under investigated just because it's hard to find that sample size and the population and and they're distributed across the country. You know, uh, as a physician, when I was at Vanderbilt, I would have patients that would drive from, you know, Kentucky and rural Tennessee and Northern Alabama to get their care at a tertiary medical center because you don't have as many options when you have a rare disease and you need that kind of expertise. So all of us is trying to pull all these together, make greater sense of it. And of those 750,000, more than, uh, I think it's about 530,000 have donated biospecimens is a demonstration that people do participate in different ways. Most people do share their electronic health records. More than 90% of people share their electronic health records as well. And most of those come through partner organizations. Uh, We have over 60 medical centers that are part of the program. We also allow people to share their individual electronic health records through patient portals as well through the interface. And we continue to expand ways to collect that kind of information. We're also looking at the importance of the environment. Environmental influences are something that we're really pushing towards and thinking about now, which are kind of underexplored in science typically. And that's another important piece of having a national coverage that we get a variety of weather patterns, we get a variety of particulate matter in the air exposures, and then things like other chemicals that could be environment that will be disentangled over time. And that's what I was going to ask you. Do you mean things like lead or other things in the air, that's what you're talking about when you say environment influences, how that can impact our health? Certainly, yes. So lead is one that's very well understood through really decades of research, you know, really relevant for a patient with cystic fibrosis, perhaps could be things like particulate matter, air quality in general, wildfires that have influenced the West and from the North, all these kinds of things that we you know, become exposed to some of which we know and understand and some of which I think we'll learn to know and understand over time. Well, when the fires from Canada were coming over, I mean, my mm-hmm. kids were masked. So over concern. So that is really good to know. And I wonder, as you were talking about, there are different levels of commitment. I'm actually enjoying the program. I think it's really well put together. Wow. Because That saliva kit test that I have to send back, it's been two weeks. I am a slow, but someone is reminding me at all times, hey, (laughs) send back that kit. So I really appreciate that. It is going out in the mail today. But I think that 
there is really fantastic back and forth. I've gotten a call that said, hey, if you didn't fill out this section yet, just a reminder to fill that out. I do appreciate that. So I think it's really well organized and I've learned so much and I like signing into my you know, portal and looking at everything. It also is very calming as far as it answers all your questions. What's this going to do to your health insurance, right? Maybe people worry about that. What is the privacy that you're going to have? What information can you find out? So I really appreciate that. How much commitment and what kind of feedback are you getting as far as people um, wondering what stays private and how much control they have over their own information? Those are all really great questions. At the top level, security and privacy, we've always recognized as job one. You know, we felt like to build the trust of especially diverse participant communities, we needed to be upfront and transparent with how the data would be used, how we protect the data. And we start with on the front end, you know, just really what I believe are state-of-the-art world-class security protection. And also telling participants that, you know, we're going to be transparent and tell you that systems do get hacked. We're going to do everything that we can do. And we'll certainly let you know if we ever see anything like that. But we do lots of rigorous testing continuously. We employ people to help, you know, find ways in and remediate those as well, white hat hackers, so to speak, to help us and continuously improve the system. Uh, the next thing is that people can participate in a lot of different ways. And as we developed the system, we started with 77 what we call engagement studios, kind of like focus groups in 17 different cities across the country with uh, really diverse uh, participants and said, hey, what would be valuable to you in a program like this? Why would you join? What would you seek to get out of it before we enrolled anybody? And the point was that, you know, okay, precision medicine doesn't necessarily mean a lot to a lot of people. It probably means a lot more to people that have a rare disease. So we, we wanted to understand, okay, what, what do we want to communicate there? Why would people join? People join because they want to make a difference for themselves and their families and their communities for the future of health. That's the number one reason. But the number two reason is they want to be a partner in the process and they want to have you know, some way that we can provide value. And there's all sorts of ways we found that we could provide value. But one of the things that participants want back in general is genetic results. That's what they told us, number one, among different kinds of things we can do. After I'm joining to improve science, a significant subset of people would like to get, you know, information back that we learned from their genetics, because that's not something they're typically getting from their health provider. And from those, people were very interested in two classes, like the common stuff that you get from commercial providers like 23andMe, like ancestry and traits that are not health-related, and then health-related traits. We are doing full genome sequencing. So that's not just uh, an array that like you commonly see like in a million locations. You know, we're looking at 3 billion locations. So we're looking at the full genome, and that means we can you know find things like rare disease. And that's one of the real powers of our program. And so we return health information. If a participant wants it, they don't have to get it. And it comes to them, not to their health provider, and they can decide what to do with it. And that includes some rare diseases that we know are actionable. Right now, that's 59 genes, and most of them are cancers. Um, there's some cardiac diseases, uh, some arrhythmias. Breast and ovarian cancer syndrome is one of the better known of these. Things that you can do something about if you find them. And most people, when they have a variant, they don't know they have a variant. So that's about 3% of the people will find out something they didn't know, and then they can do something about if they uh, have one of those variants. 
The next part is pharmacogenetics. So how does your DNA affect how well a medicine works for you? And so we also return that information. It's something I was very involved with at Vanderbilt in my time and remain involved with as I've come here um, at the NIH. We find most people actually have a genetic variant that would alter drug prescribing if they were prescribed a drug that you know is in part of that pathway. And we find about 20% of people actually get prescribed a medication that their genetics would make a difference for. If they knew that genetics and they get prescribed the medicine, we might do something different. So if people want it, we also provide this report. It's so interesting and it's going to be so beneficial to all of us. And really, it's going to save insurance companies and people money in the end. I think all this information is always so useful. I also think it will help your kids and the next generation of their kids as you learn more information. I mean, my mom's 85. She just threw out there, oh, by the way, did you know we had a history of blah, blah, blah? I'm like, "Uh, no, we had no idea. So (laughs) she just decided to mention that. So it is interesting and I think helpful to families too to get all that information they may not have had access to. It really is. In my clinical practice, I often tell the story about precision medicine isn't always about more expensive therapies. I had a patient who didn't have insurance and he had very high cholesterol. And, you know, we knew from his genetic testing that he could tolerate the over-the-counter statins very effectively and wasn't at risk for side effects. So we could give him at that time, which was the first powerful statin that was over-the-counter and high doses, and it wouldn't bother him. And indeed, that was the case instead of the more expensive branded therapies. The same is true for the most common medication given after a heart attack. There are very few people that need one of these newer medicines really based on their genetics. And so you can use the cheaper alternative for most people with that and know who you need to give the more expensive therapy to. So it's back again to that right drug first time without side effects. And uh, sometimes that's actually cheaper. So precision medicine isn't always more expensive. And of course, it's always worth it either way, whether it's cheaper or not. Anybody with a rare disease knows whatever medications you get for your kids that help them live a full life, it's worth it, whatever the cost. But what do you think this will mean to people of color? Will this help diagnose disease better? What will it mean as you get a bigger representation of that population? I'm so glad you came back to that because it is really one of the reasons for our existence is advancing health equity. I think it really is something we need to be doing as a community. And I think it will really have huge impact. You mentioned cystic fibrosis. And I have a research lab in addition to my role leading all of us. And uh, we access all of us in the same way any other researcher would in my research, in the people that work in my research lab. One of the things we're looking at is cystic fibrosis. And we've found, probably not surprisingly, that you know, cystic fibrosis in all of us is present really in every genetic ancestry. And it seems like African-Americans who have CF, uh, at least at the current time, have you know, more advanced symptoms. And maybe that's due to them being started on treatment later. I don't know that yet, but you know we're looking and diving into the data to find out what we can find out with this. What variants do different populations have? How does that affect you know the presentation of the disease? You know, could we lead to earlier diagnosis, better understandings of screening, 
And then if you think about broadening back from that, from CF to a bigger picture of disease, you know, there's so many diseases in there and we're discovering some really clear examples in different populations that, you know, seem to have higher incidence of bigger disease, kidney failure in people of especially West African ancestry has a genetic basis to a lot of that. And that is leading to some drugs and development that target that specific mutation. And so if we don't have the genetic basis in the population to start learning these things, we can't start developing those therapies and uncover why some populations seem to have higher rates of disease or drugs don't work as well for as well. And so we, we see all these kinds of things. Building that will, I believe, to answer your question, better screening, better treatment, better understanding of disease, really, that will end up benefiting everybody. Might you find out that there's a disease where right now we say only 10 people know about the disease, but if you go through this program, maybe you will find out that you have this genetic mutation, but you didn't know about it yet, or it wasn't caught in newborn screening for whatever reason, because they weren't testing all of the mutations, you know, because there's like, for example, a lot in cystic fibrosis. But is that possible too, that these diseases that have so few people, you might find out so much more about these super rare, which probably is not a word, but these super rare diseases? Yeah. You know, we do talk about conditions that are ultra rare out there. I think we will find that many of these probably occur in higher frequencies than we think as we go in the population. We also will find there are conditions that are considered 100% penetrant and everyone gets diagnosed. Uh, We'll also find that there are people that have much, much milder forms of those or don't develop symptoms, even though they're considered to be completely expressed if you have the mutation. That will help us maybe find balancing mutations that ameliorate the effects of the disease-causing variant. So there is so much in here that we will, I think, discover. And one of the things that's important for us as a program is how do we feed that back to participants if they want to know. Right now, we have those 59 genes that we're doing, and we will continually work with, we work with the FDA. Uh, We continually work with the FDA and how we uh, will expand that list and return more information to our participants if they want to know it. That will lead to other diagnoses that people can find out through our program. And in general, that all will you know, find its way translated, I think, into general health. That's the vision. It's beyond the program as well. How do we affect health care in the United States and beyond? It's really exciting. And I wrote down a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. So I saw on your website, and I think it's so interesting, the results, some of the results that you found, cancer survivors drink heavily or often. In regard to mental health, researchers found which type of social support protected against depression the most and who benefited the most. And in regard to the LGBTQ data, research by all of us found anxiety, depression, HIV diagnosis, and tobacco use disorder were more common in those participants, which, you know, teaches us a lot. It also says about how we treat people, right? I mean, there's just so much in there. What other kinds of things are you learning? And even if you wanted to touch on those that I just read, they were just three examples on your website, which I thought was really interesting information. And another benefit to this program. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you really touch on some of the diversity of what's happening in science and all of us. I just want to say briefly, you know, our model is different. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we thought we could accelerate research and make it faster and safer all at the same time. So the idea is we bring researchers to the data instead of taking the data to researchers. And so researchers come use the data for studies in our platform. And that means a researcher doesn't have to have a huge supercomputing center on campus to analyze this massive data. They can use our infrastructure to do it. And that also means that we can do it more safely because they're using our infrastructure. They're not downloading all the data. So one estimate would be it could take six months or longer to download the amount of data that we have in, in fast speed. So it also tells you it's faster that way. So what does that enable? That has enabled more than 8,000 researchers now to start using our data to make discoveries. And those papers are just really starting to pick up as people are finding things out. In addition to the, the studies that you mentioned, which I think are really great, I mentioned earlier kidney disease in African-Americans having a connection to a genetic variant in a gene called ApoL1. Um, this comes from West Africa. It was a result of African sleeping sickness, we think. And what we have found is that, you know, if you have two copies of that, you're much, much more likely to have kidney disease. And it's responsible for really more than 40% of people that are African-American that are on dialysis have this mutation. And so if we look at those people, you know, one of the things that's just recently been shown in the All of Us data set combined with another data set is finding a mutation, additional variant in that gene that balances the risk of having those disease-causing variants. And that balancing mutation is the kind of thing that helps us say, we think a medication that goes and blocks that channel, because that's what the variant does, may actually help protect people against kidney disease. And so that is all of us providing real-world evidence now that's helping provide evidence that supports how we target that gene to ameliorate this kidney disease that's genetically driven. And so that's another example of the kinds of things I think you'll see increasingly come out um, of our data set. It's so interesting and impressive and exciting. Your researchers and people must be excited every day at the new information that they find and what's coming into this program. What are you most excited about? Is there one thing? Mm, it's, it's not one thing. It's so many things because it really is a plethora of diseases. But let me nail into one thing. I think uh, I'll give you two things I'm really excited about, I guess. Uh, one is I think the power of the return of results to participants has a real power to do something in healthcare in this country. As we deliver genetic results to people all across the country, seeing all sorts of different you know, providers, I think that will make these genetic results and how to use them in healthcare less scary for physicians. And I think it will do something to make precision medicine more common. I think that idea of, hey, I, you know what? It's not that hard to prescribe a different medicine based on a genetic result. Yeah, I'm initially scared by seeing these things like CYP2C19 star 2 and all this kind of stuff. What does that mean? But the next result is, hey, it doesn't work as well for clopidogrel and maybe you should use prasugrel instead. That's actually pretty easy to follow. And so I think people will kind of get over some of that hump of what they do as a provider and that will have ripple effects. 
The next thing is there's so much disease out there. I think diversity is so underexplored mm-hmm. in genetics that that will lead to new kinds of understandings of diseases and treatments and even common things like cholesterol and blood pressure that may lead to fundamentally new therapies or understanding of diseases that we just are new diseases, things that we just call a syndrome and realize, hey, this has a cause or we'd have no idea why this happens. And now we actually know uh, you have two thirds of the rare diseases out there don't have a genetic cause that we think have a genetic cause. So maybe we'll start to uncover those and we'll start to figure out, hey, it's this gene, just like we did at CF in 1989. What's the next disease out there that gets a gene that starts the progress and march towards a specific therapy that greatly improves the life with that condition? How long is this program? I mean, it's going to go on after I'm gone, I believe, if I remember everything correctly that I read. But how long is this program going to go? Decades. I hope it's long after I'm gone, too. So I I hope this is really this kind of infrastructure that just continues to go. And uh, we really want it to be a long-term relationship with our participants because that's really where a lot of the power comes from. I mean, I can't say enough about the program. And like you said, it's probably I'm so excited about it because I have two daughters with a genetic disease. And so I'm in this mix. But I encourage people with or without a genetic disorder. And like I always say, if you don't know somebody now with a rare disease, you will eventually. It always comes around. I mean, in Michigan here, there's a million people with rare diseases. It's about 10% of every state. So there are so many people with a rare disease, and this will help everyone and people in the future. And I think for me, that's one of the most exciting things. I feel like maybe I'll have just a minuscule help in some way, you know, the genetic material um, or whatever it is that all of us asks of us. And again, what are your hopes as more people sign up for this program? Well, you know, I think you really hit on one avenue that I think is really part of our next 500,000, I'll say maybe, you know, going above a million It will be uh, as we get people with I think rare disease is a real opportunity space um, because most rare disease foundations don't really have the infrastructure to support uh, study of those diseases. And we do. So, you know, that, that really goes true for every disease out there, but certainly that's also true for rare disease as well. Uh, as a program, we're disease agnostic. Uh, one other thing I want to bring out is, is kids. You talked about your children. I talked about, you know, mine and then really my grandparents' kids, my would-be aunts and uncles. You know, we have been a program just for people who are 18 and over. But one of the things that we are working hard on and really close to starting is a program for pediatrics for that zero to, initially it'll be zero to four. And then we'll gradually build out the protocols because they're so different, whether you're zero to six. 7 to 12 and 13 to 18. Those are very different life stages, as, as we all well know. And so uh, we have built a protocol, had IRB approval, built questionnaires and all that stuff for that youngest age now. And uh, I'm really excited about launching a pediatric component of the program so that we'll be completely lifespan oriented from birth to the end of life. And uh, that will it really further help us to address 
the range of health conditions that we face. That's very exciting. And in show notes, we have all the links to all of us if people want to find out more information or sign up for the program. Like I said, I, I think it's really educational too. Before we wrap it up here, because I could talk to you all day about this, I, I really find it very interesting and I encourage everyone to check it out and make their own decision. But I hope that through this podcast, we get more people of color, not only in the CF community, but in any rare disease community, because as you said, a lot of the rare disease is involved in this program already. Um, so it is good to get more people of color to get involved in this. What other things do you want people to know about this program before we wrap it up? Well, I think you really hit a lot of the highlights. Um, I, I just encourage any of your listeners to come on, explore it. The website, uh, there's, you can learn lots of it about there. You can see what kind of genetics we return now, uh, what those reports look like in some cases, and everything we try to really be sensitive to where someone is on the journey. So if they come in, they don't want genetic results right now, that's fine. Um, as they go through the process, they can change their mind. They can see, and there's lots of different health questionnaires, uh, participate as they're comfortable doing so. It's really uh, important to, to have the contribution of as many as we can. And it's um, I'm glad you made the call for diverse participants and all populations, whether it be cystic fibrosis or other conditions. You know, we really would welcome everyone in the United States. Uh, you don't have to be a citizen. We certainly protect the data from any kind of other uses like that. We just want you to be a part and help to make all of us healthier. Great point. And there are phone numbers and emails. Every time I've had a question, I've had it answered and quickly. So I just can't say enough how organized it is and how Thank you. there is somebody always answering your question fully and immediately. They also had a quiz, you know, through the program that, to make sure that you understood what you read, which I also appreciated. It's just really well done. I'm so impressed by it, not to just, you know, go so gaga crazy, but it really is an impressive program on every level. So thank you for everything you're doing because I, you're going to change the face of medicine and everything and research in this world, not just this country. I believe it's incredible. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's best better having you say it than me. Um, and it's great <laughs> to get that feedback. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. It's so true. Thank you. Thank you. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Vertex Pharmaceutical, the science of possibility, and Beatrice. It was produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.